All right, everyone. So before we start this week's episode, uh, we have an ask to make of all of you, the loyal listeners of Truck About. Did you just use ask as a noun? I did. Okay. I was a former fundraiser, so I do that a lot. Uh, it is a valid lifestyle choice. As you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even for a month or two, uh, we have a Patreon. We've had a Patreon for, for a couple of years now. And once a month, we record and release to people that give us $5 a month or more a, a special patrons-only episode uh, with a bunch of different topics. We've done episodes on Spock and Oda. We've done episodes on Star Trek novels. We've done episodes on documentaries. We've done episodes Golden on... Golden Girls. Golden Girls. I mean, video really games. Strange things, video games, all sorts of stuff. Uh, there's a lot of them out there right now, and we are getting ready next week to record the patron special for the month of December 2017. So we thought that it would be a really fun idea since we've been doing the podcast for a long time. We've had the Patreon running for, for a couple of years now to see if there are any questions that you, the listeners, have of, of Richard or I about the podcast, about our lives, uh, about our opinions about politics, um, marriage proposals so that we can leave the country, anything, anything at all. And uh, you can give us a question. You can write into trekaboutshow at gmail.com. We are recording this next. Well, actually, I guess for you, it's this upcoming Sunday. So today is Tuesday. If you're listening to this, when it was released, Tuesday, November 28th, 2017. You have a few days to get us your questions. We've already gotten a bunch of really great questions, but uh, we want to get more to make this as interactive and fun as possible. Uh, we'll be releasing this as a patron special, and then at some point in the not-too-distant future, we will release it as a present to everyone Aww. so that you can see into our lives, see into our podcast po- podcast process, and, and also see what the Patreons are getting and perhaps feel inclined to give us some money, which, you know, hey, we got a little bit of a ulterior motive there as well. But yes, like I said, just send us an email with your questions to trekaboutshow at gmail.com. But don't wait. You do not have much time. You wait, you die. <gasps> Whoa. Okay, Richard, let's calm down. It's the holiday season. We need to be friendly. Yes, but a lot of people die over the holiday season. Remember that, that, that monologue actually, from Grim- Gremlins? That is an urban legend, but I will let you go with that. No, that monologue was in Gremlins. That is true. I'm really worried this week because I genuinely don't know what happened in either of these episodes. I am legitimately confused. I think that I can help you through this because I understand the plots of both Coda and Blood Fever very, very well. I, I, I am glad because I wasn't even sure that they had plots. This was either – like I am worried that these two episodes might be too avant-garde for me. They, I don't know what the fuck went on. Well, I, I, I think that you know if you have a temperature of 107, maybe next time we should cancel Trek About for the I, week. That's and just how do I feel, week. yeah. No, I mean, I will say that that uh, uh, Coda is uh, possibly one of the worst episodes of Star Trek Voyager in existence. And oh, thank God. Is all, I mean, I think it might be one of the worst episodes of Star Trek ever made, frankly. It's Voyager's alternative factor. Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> and it's it's bewildering to me how confusing it is for no real reason. Well, here, let me ask one very pertinent question. I mean, because the Borg are about to happen, right? At the end of uh, Pawn Far Part 2, we... Uh, have we have we're literally we see the corpse of a borg and we know something's going to happen so that's the big bad that they're setting up and i you know to jump ahead a little bit thought that was very well done that was a very like oh shit like even knowing that the borg are coming it was a cool reveal um but that's also what they do in coda right they're setting up this like i'm mysterious and you'll see me again do we ever see this thing no. So in other words, this whole thing was just a weird series of events for no reason. I mean, they don't find anything out at the end. They're just left with some vague, like, maybe, and it's set up to be this huge thing. It felt like a waste of my time, especially when the episode, I, you know, for a few minutes, it looks like the episode's going to be about the phage. 
they suddenly remember the Vidians, and that was a really interesting episode for that five minute stretch. Yeah, it really it really seems to me like there are uh you know, Jerry Taylor had like four different ideas for episodes that she could not make work, and so she combined them all yeah. into one plot. And like A, Jerry Taylor is not good at writing these sorts of episodes. This is not in her wheelhouse, really. I, I think that there is a type of Star Trek episode that Jerry Taylor is good at writing. It is not this type of episode. What this is, would you say it is? This is this is a Brian and Braga episode. Yeah. I, I, I see this as a Braga episode. And whatever else you think about Brian and Braga, no. he's really good at these kind of layered plots. And it, it initially starts out as sort of the, the, the poor man's cause and effect from TNG. And I'm like, okay, but I, I've seen this episode already. It was much better done. And then if, because I'm like, well, why are they realizing what's going on so quickly? Because I didn't remember this episode. I mean, I think I have a tendency to really block out <laughs> incredibly bad episodes of Star Trek uh, vis-a-vis something like liaisons from the seventh season of TNG. But oh, it, it is the case that they they really do start uh, the episode off very strangely by immediately going into this idea that they're in this time loop. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, okay, but why are they rushing through this plot? Because this could easily be 45 minutes long. And and where is this going? I don't know. And then it kind of like transitions into Janeway has died and then Janeway has the phage. And then Janeway actually does die. And she's like in this fantasy land where people think she's a ghost and or she thinks she's a ghost. And then it's revealed that there's this alien creature that's like sucking her neural energy or something and it turns out that the entire time all of these different hallucinations were happening she was actually on the rock planet being you know surrounded by chakotay and and tuvok and i think the doctor uh trying to get this thing out of her head and like okay fine that's whatever that's star trek this is what star trek does sometimes but it's not very well done it's not very well telegraphed and I don't know fundamentally why this episode exists. Yeah, it's not like – I think that's a perfect way to describe it as if they had several episodes and they mashed them up together because there is no real through line for any of the hallucinations. I could buy an episode that is Janeway begins to have all of these weird experiences and ultimately it turns out it's an alien parasite. Okay, but what is the point of that parasite? Is it because – you know, she needs to deal with her feelings towards Chakotay, which remember the last time they were stranded on a planet. Is this a way for Chico- for Jane Way to understand her feelings about the way her crew feels about her? That's an interesting episode because she is somebody who, I mean, Bellana's speech about how uh, during the eulogy uh, uh, about how at first I was angry at Captain Jane Way, but then I came to respect her as a leader and stuff. That's something that Jane Way does need to hear in a way. Because we've talked about on the podcast, is Janeway a good commander? Is she a good captain? Uh, she's made some poor decisions, and I think the crew can question her decisions while still recognizing that she's in an extraordinary situation and she's doing the best she can and doing very well for that matter, um, even if she's not always you – know, even if she makes mistakes. Uh, that's an interesting episode, but no, and then it goes towards – views on death for about 30 seconds and then it's just again about an alien parasite set up to be a big monster that's not going to be seen again right and and i i kind of i mean i want to talk about balana's eulogy and your ideas about captain janeway because i i think that that's where maybe the the heart of the episode lies or is trying to lie you know this is obviously a janeway episode and this idea of the the captain being injured or dead or something is is something that happens sometimes in star trek and you know, I have pro in general, I have problems with Star Trek going to that well one too often because it is a very, very cheap way to try and engender sympathy in the audience, right? Oh, we're going to kill someone yeah. that you like and it's going to be terrible, but you know they're not actually dead because this is Star Trek. Uh, and I think that it, it is the case that Kate Mulgrew does a really good job at selling this episode. I mean, I, I like seeing Janeway relaxed in the in the cockpit of the shuttlecraft. I, I like the way she interacts with the the alien who is pretending to be her father. 
you know, I, I like the way that she plays the the frankly horrific scene where the doctor murders her with yeah. uh, poison gas. These are very, very interesting acting choices, and she she's very interesting to watch. But that's as far as it goes. Like, yeah. there's no this episode doesn't tell us anything about Janeway, and at the end of the day, it's it's kind of like an episode like Remember Me, where all of the all of the people in the episode are not the real people, so we don't know if they actually feel this way. And you could make an argument that, okay, well, this episode is really about how Janeway thinks the crew is is thinking about her or feels about her, but it never slows down enough to yeah. really come to any sort of coherent narrative about that or, or any sort of coherent thought process or feeling about that. Yeah, I mean, Remember Me is one of our favorite TNG episodes, I believe. That's one we did a, uh, we guessed it on the Penske file on that one. And what we get from that episode is uh, Dr. Crusher's strong love for all of the other people on the crew. I mean, the, the thing that keeps her, that the reason that she knows something is wrong is because she has this space for all of these people that nobody else remembers. No, she knows that, uh, Deanna Troy exists. She knows Will Riker exists because she remembers them because she loves them. And that is a mark of the strong bond that they have on the enterprise. What do we get about, again, the sequences when Janeway is acting as a ghost in, uh, while every, while life is going on around her, are the strongest scenes because we are getting something similar from her. I love the way that Janeway is walking around just absolutely proud that her crew is doing the right thing, that even without her in a way, they would they their training, their instincts are so good that yeah, they are going to do this type of a scan. They are going to you know, work hard. They are going to be still working as a team even when the captain isn't there. Um, it's a rare moment for Janeway to be able to very silently observe her crew and be proud of them. And again, those were wonderful moments in the episode. I want, if that was what the episode was about. Yeah, I agree with you. But I think at the same time, that is a well that 80s and 90s Star Trek has, has gone back to a lot. And we know the crew all work well together. We know this. I mean, like, this is Starfleet. This is 24th century yeah. Starfleet. I mean, even for that matter, 23rd century Starfleet. I mean, I think that all the crew of the original USS Enterprise, well, yeah. I guess not the original USS Enterprise because of Enter- the TV show Enterprise, but whatever. <laughs> uh, it, 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 that That is the case that, that they all do work together, and we know that they're going to work well to... to, to solve this problem but well well, like for well for example there's there's a very key difference between the way the the doctor acts in two of the hallucinations where in one of them it's janeway imagining that the doctor is murdering her and then in the next one the doctor is working diligently to try and save her life and i think that it would be an interesting choice for the episode to like if this had been an episode where janeway had one uh you know one hallucination that and this was her idea about what the crew was actually like or what they thought about her. And that was informing Jane, Janeway's character and Janeway's beliefs about her situation. I want to see that episode. And I also think it would be really interesting to to through line her relationship with the doctor. Because let's not forget that for a long time, Janeway completely dismissed the doctor. Yeah. And, you know, it could be the fact that, like, even now she doesn't quite trust him. But... It, it's thrown out by the next hallucination where the doctor's like, I need to save her life because I love that, you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. all right, but what am I supposed to do with this? Yes, I can see that being an interesting version of the episode where Janeway's hallucinations are essentially her nightmare where all of her doubts about her own ability to lead have come to fruit in the fact that her crew has not been better, has not had the good training, where the doctor is just this personalityless AI that doesn't really care about human life when contrasted with the reality, which may have been the Kess ghost sequences in which the crew is well-trained, the crew is doing what they should be doing, where they uh, do know they are able to work together, where the doctor will do everything he can to save her. Because we know in reality, the doctor will do everything he can to save somebody. He is no less of a determined doctor than Crusher or Bashir were or anybody. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I, I, I just think that, that, it, you know, at the end of the day, what this episode is, is doing is, is not, 
you know, it's not clear. I mean, I think that that having the the characters act in ways that would be colored through Janeway's impressions of them, it would be an interesting episode, and I would like to see that episode. Yeah. But I don't know if what we're supposed to get, especially from the Doctor stuff, is, you know, is the alien presence only taking images from her mind and not Janeway's own feelings about this? I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, and, is that? I guess that's my question. Where are these hallucinations coming from? Is the alien taking these images from her mind and creating these horror images in order to distract her so that she doesn't question it, so that he can suck out the rest of her brain, or is she just in a state of halluc- uh, is she just in a state of hallucinogenic distress, and these are the nightmares that her own mind is coming up with? Right, because I I think that I I think what it really comes down to is that because of that reason, Coda doesn't work. It it in this kind of episode, you either need to clue the audience in earlier than the characters about what exactly is happening, as in cause and effect, where the characters don't realize what's happening, but the audience does because the thing keeps repeating. Yeah. Um, or you need to make the mystery solvable by the audience while not giving them more information than than the characters do. But this episode doesn't do either of those things and it's completely muddled. I you know, I was incredibly confused for the first 15 or 20 minutes. Like there does not seem to be any rhyme or reason yeah. to what is happening and it sets up this idea of a time loop and you think it's a different type of episode than it turns out to be and then Janeway dies and you're like what the fuck and then she's back alive again and it's a completely different kind of plot or yeah. a completely different kind of storytelling and you just it it keeps you I don't want to say it keeps you guessing because that's actually a good thing. It it keeps you just incredibly confused. And there's no way that I or, or anyone else in the audience could have ever figured out what exactly was going on. The thing with a lot of these time loop stories, and again, Groundhog Day is kind of the perfect example of the time loop story, is that it needs to start small in a way. Like the variations need to be tiny, just somebody – saying something and then you say sli- something slightly different and the conversation branches a little bit. Uh, and then it's not till the kind of rules of the day, what the day is. I mean, the day has always has to have a structure in a way. There, ha- The more successful stories of this have certain beats that are hit each time. And we need to establish what these beats are before we can wildly go off the rails. And then... At that point, if we've abandoned the beats because we're, as in Groundhog Day, just going to the movie theaters and it doesn't matter if we've seen the morning news segment anymore at that point. Uh, but that's because the, the groundwork has been done. There is no ground in this episode, even during the, the time loop. We figure it out right away. Okay, well, we're going to go back to Voyager. Okay, you know, they don't th- – this is trying to do too much. It's – Again, it's maybe and maybe if the episode had just been a time loop story, it would have done that. But as it were, we only have five, seven minutes to really deal with that storyline before going to the Janeway has the phage storyline. Yeah, because I, I, you know, I actually think that's really good because it makes me think of the thaw from the, from towards the end of the second season, and I think that I like that episode more than you did, but. I, I think that the thought is like this episode is trying to be surrealistic in a certain way. And they've already done that better in the thaw where, yes, the audience doesn't really know what's going on. They have as much information as the characters, but there's an internal logic and consistency to what's going on in the thaw that makes it interesting to watch and, and, and makes you want to try and keep figuring out what's going on in this episode. It doesn't seem like there's any internal logic to what's going on. And they're, there isn't because it's it's kind of a cheat to say, well, there's this brain sucking parasite in Janeway's mind and it's just creating various hallucinations of her violent death because they want her to actually die because she needs to consent to it or something. And it doesn't really matter what the hallucinations are because the alien doesn't care. They just need to be death. And you're like, yeah, but I'm watching a television show. So, yes, the hallucinations do matter. You know, we're not watching experimental cinema here. You know, it's just. Yeah. And, and, and if they it would be- and if they wanted to do that, it would be fine. I would applaud them for for putting like, an, a, you know, a, a Twin Peaks uh, season three style 
uh, you know, episode of television on UPN in 1996, but but that's not what they did. <laughs> and I mean, we could even have that plot if, let's say they, let's say the limits of it are the shuttle onto the planet. So there are so many ways they can die on the shuttle. The uh, the they could be shot down. You know, they could crash land. You know, they go on the planet. There's various creatures, environmental things. If they just want Janeway dying over and over then give me a more limited series of areas where she can get into danger over and over. And rather than, I mean, the possibility space in CODA as we see it is way, is very limitless. And for that, and so it feels very unfocused. It feels very rambling. I feel like it would have benefited from a tighter structure. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you because I think a very small example of that is, you know why is it the Vidians? Yeah. I, I I don't I don't know why it's the Vidians. I mean I I don't think that Janeway has any sort of special fear of the Vidians. I, I she never expressed any worry or concern about getting the phage herself or about the crew yeah. becoming infected. I mean certainly it's a concern, but it does it just seems to be like oh well we haven't seen the Vidians in a while. Or wouldn't it be cool if we used them? Kind of thing. I, I, sure, I but. They're not actually there, and and I don't think the Vidians ever really made like a huge impact on the show, so it's a bizarre choice. Yeah, like I was interested when I thought that the episode was going to be about that because the Vidians do feel like a slightly unfinished thing. Like, let's say they fucked things up with the K. The ending of the Kazon, it was fucked up. It was unsettled. It was. It wasn't a good resolution, but it was a resolution in a way. Like, we at, at this point, the Kazon and the Federation have just fucked each other up so much that... And, and maybe this is not a very Star Trek theme, but maybe, maybe this is too dark for the franchise. But at this point, they fucked things up enough with the Kazon that we just need to leave. We're out of their space. We're all better off for not being around each other. That's resolved. The Vidians haven't been resolved, and I feel like the only way... To resolve the Vidians is that the doctor needs to cure the phage. I mean that that is the that needs to happen. And if we have, I think it would have been fascinating to have Janeway going through the early stages of the phage. Which uh, I mean, the doctor says, "Oh, you're going to have hallucinations. It's going to be you know you're going to be able to." And then suddenly we'll get a better idea of what life as a Vidian is when people are just going to go mad for this because yeah. of this illness. I mean, that what that's going to do to the society, that could have been a really great and then the doctor ends up finally curing it because he has the extreme motivator of Janeway has it. And then he can cure the phage. I mean, that that's the resolution of the phage. That needs to happen. And I feel like we might not get it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Well, and and I I think maybe the the last thing to to talk about before we move on to Blood Fever is I do want to spend a little bit of time discussing Janeway's father in this episode because yes, it's not her real father, but I I think it's interesting for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, I don't know if it was established before that Janeway's father was in Starfleet. I, I don't remember. I don't think it was, and. If if this is really the case, I mean, obviously it is because Janeway, is, yeah. it doesn't seem surprised that her father is in, in, in a Starfleet uniform. I think we can that, take the portrayal of the father as close enough to how he really is to not right. worry her right away. But yeah. Right. And we get some interesting information about Janeway's backstory, about her father having this this kind of horrible death and having that this very, very, you know, profound, uh, you know, depressive episode that her sister had to help her get out of. You know, this is interesting character stuff for Janeway. And, you know, I, I think, well, it's interesting also because I, I think that this is the first time that one of our captains had a parent in Starfleet. I, I We know Picard's parents were not in Starfleet because they were very against him joining. Uh, yeah, yeah, know yeah. That, that We know that, that Cisco's parents were not in Starfleet because we his, his father, father. Has, a, yeah, his father has a restaurant in New Orleans and his mother was a prophet. Um, sorry if you haven't listened to our DS9 podcast, but go watch DS9. Uh, and and Kirk, we don't know really anything about his parents, but I feel like they probably would have mentioned at some point if his parents... Well, no, no, we do know that his father was in Starfleet. So anyway, anyway, sorry. But that's kind of established later, I think. Um, but it's, it's an interesting choice for the show, and I'm not really 
sure why they make that choice because they don't do anything with it, but I it mean, does maybe color her character a little bit. It is a very, I, it, it's a big opportunity missed between her and Tom Paris in a way because I mean, I can see Jane Way knows, you know, when Tom Paris talks about what it was like to have an admiral father and, you know, the pressures on that and how he's a very hard man to grow up for and how he you know, felt he needed to live up to. Janeway knows exactly what that is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, this is a moment. Uh, and I can also see that being for Tom Paris, you know, saying, well, Janeway went through the same exact thing I did. She managed to carve out her own identity for herself and to rise up and and to swim under the pressure. And, you know, we know that Tom Paris views Janeway as a role model, has used her influence to um be a better person uh to grow a bit and again that would have been another reason yeah i agree with that and i i think that's a good example of the show's approach to sort of retroactive continuity not really working very well i mean you can you can make the argument in your own mind perhaps that okay well janeway didn't mention that to tom paris before because i don't know she's a private person in general she she's tight-lipped met- yeah yeah, and then also like in you know when she first met Tom Parrish, he was in prison and she was coming from a place of 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 uh not friendliness. She was coming from a place of you need to do this because I am a captain in Starfleet. Um I mean she was asking him but no, still. No, no. It, it would it would sabotage her authority yeah. to have a heart to heart with Tom Parrish in the prison in New Zealand about their respective fathers. But yeah, like I think that you know I the sh- as far as I remember, I don't think the show really goes into this like dark, depressive period in Janeway's life. But I think it's and even if it even if it never does, I I think that it is a, a really interesting character choice for the show to establish this sort of of you know mental uh disorder that that Janeway is is perhaps uh you know dealing with. Well, I have to say that also does feel like another missed opportunity because for all that Janeway's family and friends know, the same exact thing happened to her. I mean, how is her, how is the sis uh, now I'm thinking about how the sister is going to react to her father dies in her in, in an accident and again as far as she knows Janeway's had died in an accident. Right. Yeah, and I, I think, it, you know, we, we could sort of extrapolate that out and say, well, the family members of Starfleet personnel just have to get used to that sort of thing because ships disappear all the time. But it it, it would still be, it, yeah, you know, it still would be heartbreaking and, and horrible for, for those family members. So you're right. And I think you get that a little bit in the next episode as well. Maybe we're kind of... Yeah. chugging along to talk about blood fever but yeah i do think that that the idea about the families left behind of the voyager crew are are another missed opportunity that the show hasn't done too much with yet but it's really been focused on the crew's reactions to that which makes sense but at the same time it would be interesting to kind of think about how they're i was gonna to say well. i would love if there were room in voyager to have even just a single episode that's you know it's been five years since Voyagers, you know, was lost, and now the families are just going for a memorial thing, like that episode. And and this is, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to go into this too much because you know we're we're, you know, hitting up against time, and I want to move on to Blood Fever. But that if Voyager was a, if Voyager was made now, do you? I mean, I kind of think this way, but but do you think that the show would focus solely on Voyager and never show? the search for Voyager or do you think yeah, that they, it yeah. would be kind of a half and half narrative where, you know, you've got the adventures of the Voyager crew, but you've also got Ooh. these, this other set of characters in Starfleet. Some of the family members of the Voyager crew that, that, you know, are, are, are really pushing Starfleet to look for the ship, things like that. Oh my God. Are we rebooting Voyager? Because this sounds really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we are. I don't know. Uh, it, you know, w- when we find out if, if Discovery uh, is getting a second season, perhaps we can uh, go ahead and, and, and pitch that to, to CBS. Oh, no, I see how that goes. I already have my story I'm pitching to Discovery, but that's a different story. I also have my right. DS9 sequel series. Well, when the uh, DS9 uh, documentary comes out, we can do it on a patron special and, and maybe we can uh, talk to Irish Stephen Bear about that. 
All right. Well, I think that'll do it for Coda. But before we move on to our next episode, uh, as usual, I just want to take a quick opportunity to uh, ask all of you, our loyal listeners who do not support us on Patreon, to please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and give now. We have some reward tiers up there. Uh, A good one to start out with perhaps would be the $1 a month tier. Um, That gives you zip download (laughs) of all of Truckabout, which I think is up to about, uh, let's say, 14 gigabytes right now. Uh, so that's TOS, TAS, TNG, and DS9 with more to come as we finish other Star Trek series. Uh, you know, this doing this podcast does take time, takes time out of Richard's life, takes time out of my life, uh, you know, especially since we just did, uh, you know, the first eight episodes of Discovery, and I worked really hard to get those episodes out to you as soon as we as soon as I possibly could. Uh, you know, and I would rather be doing other things on Sunday night, like eating ice cream and crying because I have to go back to work. So if you would like to give us some money, please do so. Patreon.com slash truck about show. All right, let's talk about blood fever, uh, which I'm not really sure how I feel about, to be honest with you. I like the idea of it. Sure, we can revisit Pond Far. Um, is that all I have to say about it? Oh, God. Um <laughs> No, I don't think so. If there's one thing we know from doing this show for five years, we can talk at length about pretty much anything. I, I'm kind of with you. I, I think I like this episode a little bit more than you do, but I, the first. Well, well, I don't, I, and I way, don't completely dislike it. It, it. it, it was better than I expected it would be. I mean, I'm finding, uh, for example, that, that Lisa Clink is uh, kind of an underrated writer on the show. You know, I don't remember off the top of my head other episodes that she worked on, but she's her name has come up and I always mm-hmm. notice it because her episodes tend to be pretty good. And I think that part of the problem with this episode, if you can call it that, uh, might be due to the fact that they switched the main character like two days before they started shooting it. Uh, so it originally was going to be about Tuvok on the planet with okay. Bolana helping her through the fake pond far or the sympathetic pond far let's call it uh but they turned it into tom paris because they wanted to further this idea of the yeah, tom yeah, paris yeah. balana flirtation attraction and i think it's a good approach and i think it is an interesting way to go about a pond far episode especially since it's not about tuvok because i don't think that tuvok would have necessarily been that interesting in a pond far episode well that's actually my question because this show is going to go seven seasons so at one point you know unless pond far is two days after the uh series finale and tuvok is going to have a wonderful reunion with his wife uh he's going to hit it at some point Yes, that is true. And I don't know if he... I think he does go through it at some point, but I, I don't quote me on that. I mean, of course, Apparently, at the end of this episode, they decide that, you know, masturbation is the cure for Pond Far, which I could have told you. And, um, you know, so assumedly Tuvok will avail himself of the doctor's program. Well, no, it, di- it did not work. Remember, oh, that's because true, yeah. Vorik but, was pretending to be fine and then went down to the planet to fight somebody. So, Well, to be fair, Tuvok may have a better shot at it because he's a better meditator. Yeah, I'm not going to touch that one. <laughs> um, I, let's, talk, let's stop talking about shots and meditation. But no, um, I, I want to say I think this is hitting on my problem with the episode is it feels really awkward for the characters to be talking – this frankly about sex in a star trek show yes i agree with you and i i mean one thing that i have said about star trek in general is that they had to be very careful around sex and sexuality because it was syndicated and they were airing at all times of the day and and night uh this did not have that problem of course because it was a network show uh in as much as you can call upn a network but no uh it, you know, it is the case that it was being aired at eight o'clock, I think, on Wednesday. So it's not like there were it was, you know, airing at 10 o'clock or anything like that. And I and a couple of years sort of, later, too. I mean, I don't think that's you know, it's not a ton later, but this is later than Next Generation was. Sure. Yeah, that that's certainly true. But I but I think that primarily what what is. Primarily what my problem with this episode is. If, if it can be considered a problem or it's just kind of a statement is I fundamentally do not care about the hangups of straight people. Mm. 
and I swore to God that we would not talk about straight people anymore. <laughs> but like, if you well, read, the, if you read the back, if you read like sort of the production notes for this episode, one of the things that they said was that they didn't want to make it a Tuvok episode because they didn't want it to seem like Tuvok was cheating on his wife, which is such a weird thing to worry about yes we've never had an episode where tuvok worries about cheating on his wife although maybe on that level they don't want that to be a theme that you know once you have the episode where he maybe has an emotional affair with morena you have another episode with that then it becomes a pattern right but but my like i guess my point more is that that I don't necessarily think that Tuvok having sex with someone else would be cheating because if he doesn't, he's going to die. I I, I, I don't know. I, I I think there's a lot you could do with the concept of Pond Far. I think there's a lot you could do with developing Vulcan society and culture a little bit more because like I think I said a couple weeks ago that, that Voyager is really the, the first show since the original series to, to really yeah. delve into this stuff. And I think, generally speaking, Voyager is not quite up to the task. Uh, I think it does a pretty; they do a pretty good job in this episode. But at the same time, Ponifar is one of those concepts that fundamentally doesn't make a whole lot of sense, mm. and I don't understand why Vulcans would be so, haha, head up about this because it, like, like the doctor says, it's not logical for them to be so worried about this and i think that the episode doesn't do a good enough job justifying why vulcans have sexual hang-ups well i guess the closest i can justification i can think of is um remember sarek in his tng episode where he is very ill and he's losing control of his emotions and it's uh seen as shameful like they're, they're treating him losing his uh using his emotions like incontinence in a way. It's, it's embarrassing. You know, yes, it's a natural biological thing, but it is also, you know, very undignified. And so during Pon Far almost seems a time of that in a way for one's emotions. And so, so I, I... So let me just make sure I'm understanding you correctly. So, so your argument is that <laughs> a, a Vulcan dis- outwardly displaying emotion in public or around other Vulcans that are not immediate family members or close friends is akin to them shitting themselves. Well, maybe just like farting very loudly, but yeah. All right. I mean, I'll buy that. I, I, I you know, it, it, it's just one of those societal things. It, you know, it, they're, they are ashamed of the emotion because they feel that the emotions are what, uh, you know, are, are, are the cause of their aggressions. And so, I mean, there are very di- Vulcans talk very differently among themselves than the few times we see them or very intimates than they do around other people. It's not as if, uh, I, I, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, the the way Tuvok is talking to Varric about, you know, you're on the pond far and all of that, and you know, being very sensitive. But we both know what's going on. We both know this is the gross and sweaty parts of sex. This isn't the romantic and pleasurable like like that's it you know for for a human well why do they keep and why do they keep using the word mate all the time well because again it's it's a biological thing sex is not a part of vulcan romance it doesn't seem to be it doesn't seem to be a moment of you know connection and love and again pleasure between two people it seems to be just I'm gonna pump a th- I'm gonna pump a thing in you. It's gonna be just gross and sticky, and then you're gonna expel a child at the end of it. So we're mating. You know, this is just it's like if you had to have heterosexual sex once every seven years. If you just had this uncontrollable urge to have sex with a woman and have a child, you would you wouldn't really brag about that during the rest of the other time. I think I would kill myself. No, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess, I, I, again, I, but I wish the episode would maybe go that far. But I think that's how it, they're viewing it. Well, this is why I think Pon Far is one of those things that is probably better left to one episode of the original series yeah. because you could certainly flesh it out in a way that I think is satisfying. But I don't think Voyager's up to the task, frankly. And you know, as much as I think Lisa Klink did a good job with this episode. 
the the concept of pon far fundamentally doesn't make a whole lot of sense and you can say okay yes it is a, a very very strong drive to fuck someone and get them pregnant and women i guess women experience it too i I don't know that doesn't seem to ever occur to anyone (laughs) which uh is kind of interesting for reasons of patriarchy and and no there are so many misogyny but yeah do they do do you and your mate i i I mean there is this bonding ceremony or this you know ritual that uh what's his name for you know accidentally quote-unquote does he accidentally uh Psychically rapes Milana Torres. Let, let's not, so not so remember, like but... I, this is this is getting more and more problematic. Then so yeah. so male Vulcans experience pon far and telepathically initiate a mating bond with a female Vulcan who may or may not want to mate with him. Great Vulcan marriages are arranged. Yes. So like pon far is essentially rape. Uh, it's essentially dragging her cycle to match his in a way. I mean, if, I, if you want to put it that way yeah I, I there's there's a lot of really i'm not the the more we dive into this the the less i like it and maybe I, that's part of where our the weirdness of this episode comes from because yeah th- there is it's problematic and and what about what what about gay vulcans they must exist i mean they do say in the episode that it is possible to you know get rid of a a, 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 a arranged marriage right like yeah. you can you cannot be in an arranged marriage and that is definitely something that we see as far back as a muck time with uh to, is it Tapel, i think and 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 stan her her actual lover who she apparently actually wants to to marry and so, so it must be the case that okay, your parents get together when you're four, yeah. and you go, all right, we, hey, we're both friends, and we both like sitting around and eating plomox soup together. Uh, in, in, you know, yeah. when we go out in in a, in a couple's date, so uh, your daughter and my son uh, will will be bonded, and they will get married at some point in the future. And then that's pretty much the end of it. Maybe there's a picture or something, and they kind of go, that's your, that's going to be yeah. your wife in the future. And okay. And then, uh, you know, normal life goes on and you're in your teenage years, you're in your 20s, you're in whatever, and you're, you know, dating and having other relationships. And, and, and then you decide that you don't actually want to date the person that your parents arranged your marriage when you were four. So that can happen. We've seen yeah. that happen. So, OK. It seems like a right of first refusal kind of thing in a way. But then, well, maybe this just, you know, it tells you where my head is at. But, like, I'm just imagining, like, you know, two gay Vulcans fighting now. So, anyway, uh, let's move on. Uh, uh, Um, uh, uh, I mean, it does make sense in that way. If you do get the space hornies and you're going to die if you don't do that, you're going to make sure that, you know, your family members aren't going to die. You know, okay, let's have this settled. But um, I don't know. Uh, what, what do you mean by that? Uh, like, okay, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm following. In other words, when the par- pawn far hits, you should have somebody that you can pawn far with. So we'll make sure that's all arranged years before the pawn far even happens, so that when it happens, you'll be safe. Yeah, okay, that 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 makes sense. But then I guess there's that other thing about the uh, ritual combat which happened in a muck time and also happened in this episode and which was much less interesting in this episode and and here's my question though you have the space hornies and you're fighting over your uh your your mate and you fight the combat and then you win and that discharges the space hornies too so you know what about the mating it doesn't make any sense to me right right i I mean the fact that the combat with kirk discharged uh Spock's pawn far was kind of part of the twist of that episode, I remember. Like, they were all a little surprised at that, and it was specifically because of the depth of uh, Spock's feelings and friendship for Kirk. You know, that emotional connection that he had with him and the worry over his loss. I mean, it had to be that extreme of a moment in order to discharge it from him. It didn't seem like it was just combat. You know, this seemed like an attempt to retcon or to fit that in, in a way it doesn't quite fit comfortably. Yeah, I, I agree with you, because I, I think that, yeah, you're right, like in a muck time, the the combat was, because I think Pell picked Kirk to be her champion, and that's why they fought, and then the fact that it did get rid of the Ponfar was was surprising. Yeah. 
I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. I mean, I guess you could make the argument it wasn't surprising to the Vulcans. It was surprising to Dr. McCoy. I don't know. But we're not talking I'm about making a we're talking about this episode right now, just so so, so the listeners know. Uh, but yeah, but but again, this is us. This is a thing we get to with Voyager over and over is that we have answers to these questions after bullshitting for like ten minutes and like squaring all these circles, and it's fun to do. But we have to do this all the time for the show because we're thinking about this more than they did. I, yeah, no, I yeah, I'm with you. Well, let's move aside from from Ponfar because I think we've done about as much as we can do with that. I want to talk about Bellana and I want to talk about Tom Paris yeah. because I don't know. I you are I have intimated in the past that that they're perhaps going to become an item and this episode seems to be moving in that direction. Uh I don't have a problem with it. I think it's fine. I think Tom yeah, Paris and Bellana are fine sure. together. I, but what I what I really want to ask you or what I want to talk about is if we take Ponfar as culturally sanctioned rape in a certain sense, and I, I, I you know, whether or not you just for the sake of argument, let's say that that's true. I mean, there are what, people who will say marriage is culturally sanctioned rape. I I. I think the Vulcans would look upon you saying Ponfar is culturally sanctioned rape the same way that, you know, many people would look on marriage as rape, but... Yes, but Vulcans are not real. Uh, of course, uh. and there are certain, you know, if you look especially historically, there are some uncomfortable issues around marriage, too. Well, yeah, absolutely. But uh, what I'm getting at is Ponfar is culturally sanctioned rape, as culturally sanctioned rape, not is culturally sanctioned rape. Uh, what does it then indicate or what does it then color the interactions that Bellana and Tom Paris have in this episode? Specifically about Tom Paris going, no, 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 you're drunk. I don't want to have sex yeah. with you because you're you're drunk. And when you're sober, you're not going to be happy that I took advantage of you. Uh, so blah, blah, blah. Um, great for him. But what what is really going on here? Well, I mean, I, I I like that Tom Paris uh, understands consent. You know, they teach consent in the Federation, obviously, and Tom Paris learned that. You know, Tom Paris recognizes that she is not herself, and even though, you know, again, if they were ha- if they were hanging out in the Marseille bar and they decided to, that would be a different story. He knows that's not the case here. Um, although. Uh, I mean, it's so icky at the end when Tuvok shows up and, like, and is, Paris, you must mate with her. It's really icky. Right. And, like, why? Like, I don't, why? Like, it seems to be that this episode is going in the direction of somebody got to rape somebody. And. Well, it's more like, just, why? like. It's a really gross ver- version of the, okay, we have two characters who are have been in a will they or won't they. Well, we're going to trap them in the elevator together, so now they have to have the conversation, and they'll finally, you know, start making out. Like, that's it. That's what it seems like it's doing, except with space hornies, and that, that, that I have a problem with. Yeah, no, I definitely have a problem with it as well, and I think that, Vorik beaming down and and saving the day, as it were, by by you know initiating the the ritual combat is fine, and I think that that's a good thing because I I do think that Tom Paris uh, consenting to having sex with Bellana would not be a thing that would be a no. promising start to what could be a happy and long lasting relationship, and I also think that Bellana's line "just let it happen" is intensely creepy. Yeah, uh, you know. You know, I just I don't know. I keep coming back to the idea that once again, maybe we're having a problem with this because we are not straight. I don't know if this episode makes more sense if you come at sexual and romantic relationships from a different place than we do. I can't answer that question because I am not a heterosexual, but it seems like maybe that's the case. Yeah, I mean, if 
if Paris and Bolana were both gay men, they wouldn't have had the tension because they would have slept together already, is what you're saying? And, you know... I mean, yes and no. <laughs> I know I, that's I, an oversimplification, but I also do feel that way. Like, yeah. Well, it's more like... I don't know. I, I think it's more like gay men don't necessarily just sleep together if they want to, but usually it's like, okay, what's our relationship? Do we want to have sex with each other? Do we or don't we? If we do, we might not do it right now, but we'll do it at some point. Or we don't want to have sex with each other, so it's not going to be an issue. Like there's, I don't know, it just seems like there's more of an openness about those kinds of things within queer yeah. circles than there are in heterosexual circles and of course i'm generalizing because you have to to talk about these issues but i don't know does that make any sense to you i guess i feel like for a gay friend for me and that guy to on either way express a respectful sexual attraction to the other person I think that's a little more accepted, at least in the gay social circles I'm with. Like, it's, is you know, no, certainly there is too creepy. Certainly there is coming on too strong. Certainly there is oh, sure, yeah. someone's consent. But in general, saying, like, listen, you know, I'd lo- fucking love to hook up sometime, you know, is not a, you know, yes. that's not a rude question. It's, it's, it's a compliment, you know, oh, no, thank you. Or, you know, you know, you can brush it aside like that's well that was the thing perfect example so so i i moved from portland a few months ago and i'm not going to give this friend's name because that would be inappropriate but i had a friend who i was texting with and just saying oh you know yeah we should get together before i leave and blah 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 and and he just we did not ever sleep together or anything and he just like randomly texted me and he was like oh let me know if you want to have sex before you leave and it was like one of those things where it was like i don't but thanks yeah like and i didn't really say anything about it because it didn't need a response but i think that's the place that you are coming from and i think that's the place that i am coming from at the same time i mean i i recognize we are coming this from a different place and also i i i mean it's very different when i'm messaging somebody who's on growler versus you know like if you if you're at or you know if you're at the Eagle, you're you're going to go understanding that there is a certain amount of frankness that is okay in this environment. It is a different social standard. Um, on the on a Federation starship, I would say it has a much stricter code of conduct. And does it though? Well, you know, um, I mean, I exhibit a Riker. That's all I'll say. Yeah, but at least Riker wore clothes at the Eagle. That's not the case. Um, and I, I don't know that that's necessarily true either, but okay. <laughs> um, and I can't discount the experience of women for whom, you know, many men get a simple, again, I, I, I stress a respectful, you know, understanding of that versus, you know, creepy rapey shit. You know, in other words, uh, I can understand why one would make an episode which has, which which attempts to talk about talk about certain issues related to sexual assault because that is a real issue. Is that making sense? No, it does make sense, and I I think that I would like to see that episode of Star. Yeah, Trek. like I, this is this is not that episode. Yeah, I guess that. Yeah, that's right. It deals with. I think that no, that I I figured it out. It deals with issues of assault and consent, which are ones that you and I in 2017 take extremely seriously. And treats them like just fun romantic comedy stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's right. I think there's much more of an understanding now than there was 20 years ago of, of the importance of consent and the fact that sort of standard sex comedy and romantic comedy tropes about these sorts of things that are, that were played for laughs in, in the past and, yes, sometimes even now are not funny in the real world and and yeah. should not be taken as such and and i think that's really where this this episode has not aged well i guess is what we're really saying yeah no i mean like i said i am glad that the episode very much recognizes that tom paris would be taking advantage of balana in a condition where she is not going to consent properly that is a very good thing i can see a lesser version of the show where he does you know sleep with her and then it becomes an awkward thing maybe not this particular maybe not star trek but can, i can see a show 
I mean, yeah, and I, yeah, and I, I think you can really, you can really see that most clearly if you imagine the roles reversed in this episode, where Tom Paris had been the one that had the sympathetic Ponfar, and he was aggressively trying mm. to have Bellana have sex with him. I think that that would play extremely differently. The and only yes, yeah. it's yes, it's a double standard, but. It is the case that still that is a a thing that would be an issue. I mean, the episode could going that episode could make it clear that Bellana is somebody who can very easily fit physically handle herself against Tom Paris. But we need to make it clear that Tom Paris isn't actually a threat. We put him with um, I don't necessarily want to say Kess because she has psychic stuff, but. Um, <laughs> Put him with somebody who is not half Klingon, and you begin to see the problems. Yeah. Harry Kim. Oh, wouldn't that be nice if Tom Paris and Harry Kim decided to start dating? Oh no, 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 no! Now see, in my rewrite of this episode, Tom Paris and Harry Kim get the sympathetic pawn far, and then they—that re- is when they realize, like, no, we are really the only couple with any chemistry on this set, on the show. Aww, now I want to see that. Well, you know my All right, whole well, uh, Eve Sedgwick-based theory on the Delaney twins, but that's a different story. That's a different story. All right, well, I, I think that's about all we can say about this. The last two things to mention, number one, are directed by Andrew Robinson. So take that oh. for what it's worth. <laughs> uh, like, we've seen, you know, cast members direct. Uh, LeVar Burden's done some good stuff. Um Jonathan Frakes has been a very good director on this series, but oh, Andrew, Robinson. he did he he did a fine job, I guess. Uh, and and the last thing to mention, you you did briefly mention this before, but uh, the fairly shocking, but perhaps not reveal at the end of the episode that the rock people were uh, were destroyed by the Borg. Uh, you know that that seems to be important. Again, knowing that the Borg were going, and when they mention an invader, I think, oh, that would be interesting. I, I'm curious how much they kept us it a surprise that there were going to be Borg on this season. Like, was that a... I can see that being, you know, season three, we've got the Borg coming up. I, I don't know, actually. And I, I think that's a good question. If I'm remembering correctly, in general, Voyager was not very good at hiding that sort of thing, only because the UPN promo machine was trying to sell the show as some sort of action-packed sex romp, if I'm remembering correctly, so. Yeah. But uh, action-packed sex romp, yes, that's what I want from Star Trek. Um, But no, again, the the framing of the scene, the fact that they mention an invader destroyed us, and then they reveal the Borg corpse, and... Based on the description for next week, it looks like we're going to be continuing that with that storyline. So, again, I thought it was a I thought it was an effective introduction of no. Here's the big bad we've got now. All right. Well, we'll just have to see where that goes. Uh, but if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we just talked about, please go to truckaboutshow.com and leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast. As we said earlier, you can go to our Patreon, Patreon.com/truckaboutshow. It also supports our other podcasts tuning in. Right now, we are taking a short hiatus slash sabbatical from The X-Files. We finished season three of The X-Files last week. And now we are talking about a British show uh, called In the Flesh. Don't you mean a British show? A program? I'm not even going to pretend to do that accent because (laughs) I respect British people, unlike Richard. Uh, So do go to tuninginshow.com and check that out as well as patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. Truckaboutshow is our username. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Truckabout. It is now, the best way to get new listeners to listen to us. You pay attention. I do. I do. I've been doing this for a long ass time. And we have a new review. Well... <gasps> It's not that new. Well, it's new to us, but it's not that new because it was left in August. Uh, <laughs> and and things are getting all kinds of confused. Time travel. Discovery in there. Time travel, exactly. Uh, this is from Jeffrey. He says how to pronounce his last name, and I, I'm assuming it's okay to say. Uh, so Jeffrey Jake Uwick. Sorry if I butchered that, even though you told me how to pronounce it. Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, said, hello. 
Yes, hello, Jeffrey Dahmer. Welcome to uh, the afterlife. Speaking Enjoy. of butchering. Speaking of coda. <laughs> coda and butchering. Uh, he says, I got into Trek about and after Eric and Richard were on the Penske podcast and have really been enjoying it, hearing the perspective of someone who hasn't watched the show before combined That's with me. someone who has is a That's nice format. You. I've listened to all <gasps> the TNG and DS9 reviews and I'm looking forward to getting into Voyager. Thank you very much for that review. He also does say that uh, he thinks that we're he th- he says we're all not great at episode titles. Uh, so he thinks that just a sentence or two to explain the plot would help. Uh, we are never doing that because we are doing a very particular type of show. And we have talked about this in the past, but we do appreciate your thoughts. We do. <laughs> however, thank you for the review. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, to be clear, I, I don't we don't do uh episode recaps on this show because uh well a i find them boring it's work uh b you should be watching the show and following along that's kind of the point of the show i understand that everybody does that uh but we do link to the memory alpha page for each episode uh so you can just go and read that and and be reminded of what the episode is um so we are sorry that we do not give episode recaps but uh we never will it feels Uh, like we would have to prepare that and Yes, this is a very spontaneous, off-the-cuff type of podcast, and Richard is lazy, that that as well. Uh, so thank you very much for that review, Jeffrey. We do appreciate it, and if you would like to leave us a review and have it read on air uh, three months after you leave it, uh, go, to, go, to, go to iTunes or uh, Apple Podcasts and, and leave a review. All right, next week, we're going to be talking about the Voyager episodes Unity and Darkling.